0: Shoulders, knee replacement, knee replacement. Head, shoulders, knee replacement, knee replacement. Head, shoulders, knee replacement, knee replacement. That's all I got. When survey the one I agree i uh-huh.
1: Pray together father as we come into your presence this morning thank you that you are here with us and what a joy it is to be able to meet today and to um, come together to focus on our marriage to give that to you and to say lord we want to honor you in our relationship with our spouse and we pray that today you would speak through our speaker jim and use him to uh, share your word with us to encourage to build up to Give insight and practical applications and hope. And Father, would you just by your Holy Spirit minister to all of us who are here this morning, wherever we are at in our relationship, would you use this time in a powerful way? And we ask that in your, in your name. Amen. Please be seated. Uh, It's uh, really a joy to see all of you here this morning uh, coming out for a marriage seminar and we're delighted to have uh, Jim with us this morning. I'm going to introduce him in a little bit, but I want to take care of a couple housekeeping things at the beginning. Uh, inside uh, your handout you have a schedule for the day and we'll have some flexibility with that. We'll, we'll follow it pretty closely but um, depending upon the length of the talk or if there's some questions uh, we'll take a coffee break after this first session and one of the things you'll notice is there's a space for you to take notes on each of the talks and at the bottom are a series of questions that you could uh, talk about as a couple. Just to review what you've heard or to take home after this and to kind of go back over uh, what you're going to be hearing this morning and do that. Use that as an application, a way to to share together. And then also we encourage you, uh, and some of you did, um, pick up an index card. If you have a question during the morning that you would like to ask our our speaker, uh, I'll try to juggle this here. If you want to ask our speaker a question, uh, you can fill that out and just turn that in to us sometime during a break and give that to me and I'll take those. Or, um, and if you don't have a card, Terry's back there. If you want one, just to have on hand, just raise your hand and Terry will pass those out or get those down the road to you too. But uh, we were just thinking that's a little easier way to handle questions that you might have. And then especially at the end of the morning, uh, we'll cover uh, you know, as many of those questions as we can get to. So you have the schedule before us, and I'm gonna introduce uh, Jim and tell you a little bit about him. Uh, Jim and uh, Gail and I actually go back quite a ways. We met at Moorhead State University back when it was called Moorhead State University. Now it's Minnesota State University at Moorhead. And uh, we were students and involved with Campus Crusade for Christ. And Jim was the director of the campus ministry there. I met Jim my sophomore year in college, and, you know, just God was doing a work in my heart where I knew I wasn't walking with the Lord. And I had met some students involved with Campus Crusade, and, you know, I would really wanted to get involved and find out a little bit more about this ministry. Well, in those years, God did an amazing thing in my life, and Jim is the person that God used to really... Teach me how to study the scripture, how to pray, how to share my faith in Christ, and how to disciple others. And, uh, you know, it just was a life-changing time uh, for me. And it was also in that time that Gail and I met, and Jim was actually part of that too. Jim and his wife Renee were sort of the uh, matchmakers in one sense who encouraged us uh, to get together. And uh, that's a fun story that I've shared with you as well. But there are a lot of different ways that God has used Jim in my life. When we went on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, you know, I was assigned to Springfield College in Springfield, Massachusetts, the same year that Jim was moving to be the area director out there. So we spent five years together out in New England also and have kept in touch through the years. I know you're really gonna enjoy Jim. Jim is a Christian counselor. He's a pastor who speaks at a, a large church in Orlando, Florida. He's spoken at the weekend to remember conferences around the country uh, many times. And so he's gonna share with us this morning from the Book of Colossians. Come on, Jim, and let's give him a warm Minnesota welcome. <clears throat>
2: Warm Minnesota. There's two words you don't hear a whole lot nowadays, do you? Oh, it is. Thank you for warming it up, by the way. Uh, This Floridian, transplanted Floridian, but I've been there since 92, so it's just, I go out in this weather and I just go, you know, it's just like, (laughs) oh, okay. I remember this, vaguely. But it's uh, really great to be here, and uh, I already have enjoyed my time. Great to see Rick and Gail. Gail, I remember Gail when she was a student, and uh, Rick was interested, <laughs> and uh, Gail was sort of assessing, <laughs> and so she she came up to me one night. I'll never forget it. She says, "Rick Stanghelli," she said, "is is he a good guy?" And I said, "Yeah, he's a good guy," and she said, "Okay." And it was all over. You know, it was just done. <laughs> done deal. Uh, it's really great to see all of you here. I appreciate you coming. Um, I know it's an investment of time. I know it's not easy to find time, especially on weekends, and, and uh, I really congratulate you for taking the time to do this. Um, I'd like to get to know you a little bit. How, how many of you have been married less than two years? Any less than two-year people? There's one one hand. Oh, there you go. Thank you. And how about less than 10? Less than 10? Okay, thanks. Over 10? There they are. Uh, over 25? Oh, yes. Over 30? 35? Oh, nice. 40? 40. Their, their arms are getting tired, folks. 45? Uh, wow 50 and and 50 there oh okay 50 there good for you how how many <laughs> up up 55 50 56 <laughs> thank you they gave me the human. the six thing. <laughs> nice work uh, anniversaries are always fun aren't they you know do you know what the one-year anniversary gift is? Do you know what the first-year anniversary is? Paper, yeah, right. And uh, how about 10? Do you know what 10-year is? It's aluminum. <laughs> Just want to know that. Aluminum. 20-year um, is China. 25, you know what 25-year is, right? Silver. Um, I've been married 37 years. it be 38 years in May. So I'm, I'm looking at my 40th. Anyone know what the 40th anniversary is? ruby, so I'm saving up for that. Um, <laughs> see, guys, really, who, who came up with those? Men did not come up with those things. <laughs> if men came up with anniversary gifts, it would go something like this. First year would be needle-nose pliers, because <laughs> I never can find my needle-nose pliers. Uh, five years, the socket set anniversary. Ten-year, power, power uh, uh, drill. 15, chainsaw. <laughs> 25, riding mower, right? Yeah, that's the, these are, those are men's anniversaries. So just, just tips there. Um, as you come here, I, I realize that there, you come here from all different backgrounds. You have different stories. I, I love doing what I do when I counsel. I love people's stories. And I'm sure if I had the time, I would love each of your stories in mm-hmm. terms of how you met, how you're doing, what God's doing in your life, what he's doing in your marriage. Um, And uh, I think it's exciting to see how God puts people together. I also would want to say that there are different conditions of marriages represented here. Uh, I don't know why you came here. Maybe you came here just to sort of tune up and it's a good thing to do. And I commend you for that. Others of you might be going through a not-so-well time. Uh, Some of you might be struggling, so I want to be sensitive to wherever any of you are in your marriages just this morning, and uh, hopefully what I have to say will be words that will will, uh, speak into your hearts and lives and marriages no matter where you are. Uh, No one has a perfect marriage. I hope you understand this. Uh, If you're just married two years and think you do, just wait a little bit. Uh Uh, No one has a perfect marriage. My wife and I had an argument earlier this week, and as is her habit, she came crawling to me on all fours, and uh, she said, Jim Keller, get out from under that bed and fight like a man. You know? So So it's... um, I don't have a perfect marriage. It's, it's interesting, 37 years of marriage, a marriage and family therapist, speaking on marriage, wrote a book on marriage. You'd think I'd get close, but I'm just still in a place where I'm learning. And uh, the 56-year married couple will attest to the fact that it's a learning process. It's a great process. It's a wonderful process, but it's a learning process. Uh, I met Rick, do you realize it's 40 years ago we met? Four decades? It's just really, it's just, the the first thing I did when I got, uh, when I got into their little bedroom that I was sleeping in, I put my medication on the uh, bureau. I go, oh, I'm so old, my medication's first out. Um, I have to to say this, and I won't belabor this, but... um, rick Stanghill is one of the finest people i know and uh, you are blessed <laughs> you are blessed to have a man of integrity leave this church um and i love you very much and you too gail it's been it's a real treat to be here i don't do this much anymore i do a lot of speaking at home and And so my traveling days, I send my wife to travel the world, but uh, I I, I like to stay put. But uh, when Rick asked me to come and do this, I I didn't hesitate because uh, I love you very much and and I'm glad to be a part of it. Before I start, too, I want to say this. Um, I'm not going to tell you a lot you don't already know. I hope that doesn't disappoint you. Like, I don't have like the top five tips that you've never heard before and you're going to go home and your life's going to be revolutionized. Maybe maybe I will. I don't know. Maybe I just don't even know it. But I don't think I'm going to tell you a whole lot you don't know. I don't stand up here as some great expert and, and uh, you know, you do these things and everything's going to be perfect. Um, I remember I had a, a client. He was a 16-year-old boy. I love adolescent clients because... They're so much fun, and they're not my kids. So, you know, it's just sort of fun to be with them. And uh, I remember right in the middle of the session, we were talking about something. He was struggling with some things, and I, I was going on a little bit, and he stopped me. He says, isn't what you're just telling me common sense? <laughs> yeah, you know, I've had years of training. I'm a highly paid therapist, you know, and he's, he's nailing me with that. And I paused, and I, and I said, yes. But if you tell anyone, I'm going to have to have you eliminated. It's <laughs> called out by a 16-year-old. Really? I'm going to tell you some things you don't know. The Apostle Paul mentions this in some of his writings. He says, look, I, I write this by way of reminder to you. Things that you don't know. And here's my problem, and I would imagine you've struggled with this too. I don't have a knowledge problem. I mean, I I know a lot of good stuff. I have an application problem. And if I could just do 30, 40, 50% of what I know, I think I would be heading many times in a much better direction. And what I want to do this morning is not to give you a lot of more knowledge, although I want to stir up your minds by way of remembrance. But I, but I want you to begin to think about what it means to do what God calls you to do in the context of your marriage, in the context of this most important relationship you have here on earth. So in order to do that, I'd like you, if you have a Bible, turn to Colossians chapter 3. If you don't, it's, you'll, you'll hear these verses over and over this morning, and it is a pretty simple and straightforward passage. Colossians chapter three, starting with verse twelve, and all this morning, really, we're going to spend it in two verses, and then you have to come back for the last verse tomorrow. So that's that's uh, that's the deal. So I'll complete the series uh, with tomorrow morning sermon. I'm reading from the NIV. Therefore, as God's verse twelve of Colossians three. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. I never was a big vegetable eater growing up. I don't know what it was with me and vegetables; they just didn't get along. I, I could, beans were okay, black-eyed peas were okay. My my grandmother and grandfather, my mom's side hailed from Tennessee. My grandmother was a fabulous cook, and I loved her black-eyed peas. But anything like peas and corn and broccoli, I just it was tough. And I, and uh, we dutifully tried to eat, eat uh, these vegetables when my mom fixed them, but there was one dreaded vegetable that we would not touch, and the dreaded vegetable was Brussels sprouts. I don't know who thought of Brussels sprouts, I, and Brussels sprouts now are like the vogue, they're sort of the in-vegetable now. They're all, you, know, they, you know, you don't have a Brussels sprout, you've got you to gotta fix them up in a special way so you don't taste what they really taste like. <laughs> I'm telling you, Brussels sprouts were just awful for me. I could not... I I couldn't even swallow them. They were just so, it was terrible. My dad, who was a blue-collar worker, uh, good German stock from northwest Ohio, as his uh, parents immigrated from Russia, they were Volga Germans from Russia, and uh, he uh, would, would always look at me and he goes, you better eat those Brussels sprouts. I go, Dad, I can't. He goes, you better eat them. He says, and this is when I was young, he says, your girlfriend, when she invites you over to her house, they're going to have Brussels sprouts. <laughs> so you better learn to eat them now. I go, well, you know, I go, right. There, there, are, there are certain things that you, just, that you just have a hard time with in terms, of, in terms of dealing with, in terms of the realities of your life. And there are things that our parents try to teach us. You have parents, I have parents. We try to teach. One of the things that my folks try to teach me is, you know, one day you're going to be married. One day you're going to have a relationship. Now, most of that teaching, by the way, is done by example and not by word, obviously. But it is important to remember that we are uh, always in the process of learning, and we're learning to do things that might not be the easiest things to do. Rick Warren, in his great book, Purpose Driven Life, really, it's one of those books that I'm sure I could have written and become very famous with, but he just—he did it first. Uh, Brilliant, simple, straightforward, wonderful work. You know the first sentence in that book? You remember what the first sentence in that book is? Purpose Driven Life? It's, It's the best opening sentence in any book I've ever read. It's not about you. It's not about you. The best thing I can tell you, starting off this morning, when in the context of your marriage, the most important thing from a biblical point of view is it's not about you. And he goes on to say, you were born by God's purpose and for God's purpose. I think that holds true for our relational lives. It's not about me. It's not even about, ultimately, my spouse, my wife, even though I'm commanded to put her before myself. It's about my relationship with my Creator. And I think one of the most important things that I can do in the beginning, any kind of communication to a Christian audience about marriage is to remember that God is the one who created this in the first place. And it's the focus on him that's going to be the most important thing that we can do. We were born by God's purpose and for his purpose. And the same holds true in our marriages. Eric Frome, years ago, I think in the 50s, a great philosopher wrote a little book called The Art of Loving. If you ever get a chance to read it, it's just a marvelous book. Now, it's not necessarily written from a Christian perspective, but he's brilliant in his, in his synopsis of what it means to love. And in the opening chapter of that book, he says, you know, the, the, the great fallacy about relationships today is, is that if I can just wait long enough and find the right person, then I'm going to be happy. If I could just find the right person to love, then I'm going to be happy. And he said, that's so opposite of what reality is. And he goes on to say that, that it's not finding the right person, it is being the right person. Our culture is just full of people that go from relationship to relationship to relationship, trying to find the right kind of person to make me happy, to do what, uh, what makes me happy, Uh, me fulfilled and and pleased and it's the wrong way to go god asks us first of all to look in the mirror so paul's first focus here is the fact that it's about something bigger than ourselves he says therefore as god's chosen people holy and dearly loved Certainly our families of origin, uh, in large part, play into to how we are in terms of our marriages. You, you tend to marry your mother's men, and you tend to marry your father's women. I, you know, I hate to, if that's startling to you, it's probably true. And uh, I can't tell you the number of times that, that uh, I've looked at my wife and said, I think my mom did that. And, oh, that's like my mind. It's, 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 it's fascinating to me. You know, we just sort of grow up in these families that, that teach us what it means to relate, but there are no perfect families. They shape us from our personalities to our vegetable eating habits. They just do. I remember when my uh, daughter, years ago, I think she was about seven, I overheard her saying to my wife, Mom... When I grow up, I want to marry someone just like Dad. I remember this big smile on my face as I heard that. I thought, wow, that's great. And uh, I sort of leaned in. I think I walked to the doorway to hear my wife's response. And uh, the only thing she said was, honey, let's talk. Uh, (laughs) I was not privy to that conversation. And some of you think, well, you know, families are the teachers. I'm off to a bad start. I didn't have a great family. Paul doesn't end run around any family of origin issue we have when he talks to the church and to us through the Holy Spirit. In verse 12, we're God's chosen people. We're part of a new family. So I, w- I just want to sort of take a, a, a step back and uh, look a little bit at, at what God's Purpose for marriage really is and and, and, and what that's like. Um, marriage is God's idea. I think we would all agree with that. God designed marriage uh, to be a lifetime commitment between one man and one woman. God designed marriage as the first social institution. It was Adam and it was Eve. And uh, there, was, there were no children then. It was the first social institution. A man and woman to be interdependent together. God designed the marriage relationship as the priority relationship in the family. Another story about my daughter. My wife and I had a conflict, and and, um, we weren't speaking. Uh, This was early on in our marriage. We've tried to get beyond these times. But, I mean, you you ever have a conflict where you just don't speak anymore? You just go... Okay, you displease me, I'm not talking to you. You displease me, I'm not talking to you either. So this unresolved conflict hanging in the air. It wasn't a major one, but it was one that, you know, I was upset with her, she was upset with me. So what tends to happen, and I'll get into this when we talk about conflict later on, but you know, we, we sort of went our separate ways, you sort of avoid each other, you don't end up in the same room, you try not to get eye contact, you know, because you're upset and you're ready for an apology when that comes, you'll be glad to talk. So, um, walked into the kitchen. My wife was there, but I was hungry. So she was preparing a little bit of food to eat for herself, and uh, I wanted to do it too. So she was at one end of the counter, and I went to the way the other end of the counter. We were not talking. And I remember my daughter, who was five at the time, comes in, stands at the doorway between our dining room and our kitchen, and looks at, at this situation. And she walks over to me, and she grabs me by my hand, my wrist, really. And she marches me down the counter all the way to my wife, which is just so embarrassing. <laughs> and then she, she took Renee's wrist, and she just flopped our hands together. You know, these two limp hands together were just like, <sighs> And she's saying, shouldn't you
1: talk?
2: Or kiss, and what she was saying is look i 'm not the priority here. I want you guys to get along you 're the priority in this family. Your relationship will dictate the atmosphere of your family it 's the priority relationship in your home. so there are three reasons, and this is I, I steal this gladly from family life i've spoke for family life marriage weekends for eighteen years and uh, Uh, I couldn't say it better than than what they put together. Three primary reasons from God's perspective why he even thought up the whole idea of marriage. And it's good to be reminded of these. Number one, first first purpose that he has is to mirror his image, to mirror his image. Genesis 1.27, God created humanity, mankind, in his own image. You remember what the next phrase is? Male and female, he created them. Interesting, isn't it? It's not, not just individual in image, but it's together, male and female, that, that reflect the image of God. In the ancient days, when kings would conquer a land, they would, they would direct an image of themselves to remind the conquered people that, that this is now my territory. And you, you must obey me and if you defied that king what you would do is you would defile the image and whatever you did to the image you in essence were doing to the king well if if marriage reflects god's image then what we do to our marriages will reflect our attitude toward the king the creator i remember doing marriage conference with the theologian uh, Wayne Grudem, who is just a brilliant guy who's written systematic theology books. And I remember he, he stood up in front of this group of people and, he's in, and he was talking about the character of God. And I'll never forget him saying this. He said, in the very nature of God, his essence, there is relationship, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So God made humanity, mankind, to mirror his image on planet Earth And God makes two distinctly different humans, male and female, so that together they'd reflect the image of God. Joyce Brothers, years ago, wrote a book, What Every Woman Should Know About a Man. And uh, in the the beginning uh, part of this book, she writes, are men and women really so different? They are, they really are. I've spent months and years talking to biologists, neurologists, geneticists, research psychiatrists, psychologists, scientists who are opening new frontiers in the study of humankind in preparation for this book. What I discovered was that men are even more difficult, or more, more, yeah, more... <laughs> I'm so sorry, guys. You're more different from women than I had known. Boy. That's a God speaking to me already. Uh, Their bodies are different. Their minds are different. Men are different from the very composition of their blood to the way their brains develop, which means they think and experience life differently from women. Men change their minds more often than women do. I'd like to see her research on that. They snore more. They fight more. Men have thicker skins, longer vocal cords. Their blood is redder. Their daylight vision is better. Their metabolic rate is higher. More of them are left-handed. Men's immunity against disease is weaker. They talk about themselves less, but they worry about themselves more. They are nowhere as sensitive to others as women. I mean, you, you've heard the studies. They go on and on and on. Yeah, they've studied men and women's brains. They found that, that the brains of, of women are, are different in this way. Men, there's a corpus callosum that, that uh, separates the, the hemispheres of the brain, the, and then it connects the two hemispheres. In men, that connection is... is uh, well, in women, it's very, very intricate. I mean, the, the both hemispheres connect very, very well. Men, not so much. We don't connect those hemispheres that way. You know, women—it's just this brilliant communication system. You know, fiber optic communication system. Men, two tin cans on a string, you know, right? Between, <laughs> between. And this is why we can only do one thing at a time. I can only do one thing at a time. My wife multiple things she's pop 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 all the time i'm just one thing that's it very simple interesting god created god created these differences and you know what happens i spend an inordinate amount of my time as a husband fighting against that difference fussing about it saying that just oh only my wife if only she could Why doesn't she? At a time she does the same thing instead of saying, no, we need to to embrace this. God's first purpose is to mirror his image. It's interesting, isn't it? When you think your marriage mirrors God's image, that's a responsibility. Second purpose is to uh, mutually complete one another. To mutually complete one another. Socrates says, the great philosopher, by all means, Mary, if you have a happy marriage, you'll be happy. If you have an unhappy marriage, you'll become a philosopher. Uh, sort of insight into his marriage, maybe, I don't know. Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a, him a helper suitable for him. Uh, the word, the Hebrew word for, for good in that passage is toph, and and it, it basically the context is whatever is good lines up with God's nature, and what he was saying is man by himself doesn't line up completely with God's essence, doesn't completely mirror his image, so he needs help, he needs someone else, so the helper, uh, that word is hazar in in in. Uh, in, in the Hebrew, a helper is, is, is someone who comes alongside to assist someone who is otherwise incapable. And, and so woman then comes into the picture. So there is completement, completion here, and companionship replaces isolation. Companionship in marriage is God's provision to meet our deep longing for close, intimate relationships. Been married, like I said, 37 years. Um, I said goodbye to my wife Monday of this week. She had a um, uh, a meeting with her team. She's still on staff with Campus Crusade. She's gone over 40 years with that organization, and uh, so I haven't seen her since Monday, and uh, will not see her for another week after this. I will tell you, I do. And maybe I'm a weak guy, I don't know. But I do three days and I'm done. Three days apart, I'm done. And it's not that I can't live without her. I mean, I can feed myself. I can make scrambled eggs with the best of them. I mean, I can do that. But there's something that's missing. There's something that's, that's incomplete. The companionship is not there. And that loneliness and i'm an introvert so I, you know i'm i'm good for 3 days cuz you know i'm my own best company I, you know i just sort of it's all inside my head and you know i get to do what i want to do watch what i want to watch but that gets really old really fast so i like to be alone sometimes but i never like to be lonely my wife completes me and i you know i i find myself when i go places i, I, I turn like my wife is there So maybe this is early onset something, but I don't know. But I'm telling you, I miss my wife. I can live without her, I'm fine. But you see what God does? He takes these two distinct humans and he puts them together so that together they can become better than who they are as individuals. Remember the first Rocky movie that came out? This is the, one of the greatest movies ever made, I think. Remember S- Sylvester Stallone as Rocky? I, I know, I'm dating myself. It's just, it's, if, if you haven't ever watched that movie, you've gotta watch it, it really is good. Talia Shire, you know, Adrian, remember that movie? It's great. So Rocky Balboa is the fighter. He gets a shot at the, the, the heavyweight championship of the world, Apollo Creed dates this girl, she's less than attractive, but she's, there's something in her that, he, that, 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 uh, that uh, he sees, and he's talking with her brother, Polly. It's a real, really intellectual discussion that they have. I think, I think he's training by, by hitting slabs of beef in Polly's butcher plant, and uh, Polly asks him this question. He says, yo, rock what is it that you see in my sister anyway?
0: <laughs>
2: and uh, this is the heaviest question Rocky's ever been asked in his life. He's not an intellectual giant. And he pauses. And, and everyone in the theater, when they first hear this, they sort of lean forward. And he responds this way. He says, well, Paulie, you see, it's like this. He says this: "I got gaps, she got gaps. Together, we got no gaps." Still brings a tear to my eyes. I think. <laughs> Isn't that just the best line? It's Rocky Balboa who gets the companionship thing—the mutually completing one another. Last purpose: it's to multiply a godly legacy. And I won't spend a lot of time on this, but. Genesis 1, 28, back to Genesis 1. God blessed them, Adam and Eve. God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, and fill the earth. So marriage provides the divine context for having children. Couples who multiply a godly legacy experience oneness with their children. They just do. We don't have time to talk about that or develop it. But those are the three purposes. To mirror his image, mutually complete one another, and multiply a godly legacy. So let's get back to the passage in Colossians. Let's, let's, let's talk a little bit about how, how Paul frames this in terms of what our attitude toward relationships should be. It says in verse 12, and there are three, three concepts that he just one, two, three gives them. Therefore, as God's chosen people, Chosen. The the Greek word is, is eklektoi. And basically it just means that you and I are not accidents. We are not mistakes. We are not random happenings of nature. You are intentional. I am intentional. He chose us. Romans 8, Paul says, who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. First Peter, Peter echoes this theme. Chapter 2, verse 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his, uh, a people of his own, so that you may proclaim the virtues of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I like to be chosen it, it's 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 a good feeling i was in eighth grade nathan hale elementary school in toledo ohio I was born and raised in toledo and uh, we had square dancing don't ask me who implemented square dancing in our class but we did square dancing i'm not sure why i don't know how that built into my life but here's here's what happened the first day of square dancing i don't know what teacher thought this up but i really would like to have a word with them today. They lined the girls up on one side of this big room and the boys on the other side. And they picked one girl and had her walk all the way across and pick a boy. And that's the way they did the whole time. Each each girl had to pick a boy out. Can you imagine that? And they tended to pick like the real popular kids first anyway. I, I don't know what teacher did this, but it was just like and, you know, you're just over there going, okay, this is real fun. Let's see. And, you know, and, and of course, all these girls, they, they pick all the popular boys, and, you know, it's just like we're just sort of shuffling, looking at our shoes. And But something great happened to me that day. It was Jill Fisher. <laughs> Jill Fisher. I didn't know her very well. Liked. I didn't dislike her. She was just a really nice person. I remember her coming over, and she walked right my way. And I thought, oh. I just want to be picked by someone, like you know, middle draft kind of thing, you know, not tail end. She walked up and she looked at me. And she said, "I pick you." I said, "Okay." So then, the, when you're your couples you walked away toward the end of the end of the uh, room, stood next to each other. I said, uh, "Thanks for picking me." And she said, Well, thanks for not throwing up when I did. I never forget that. Answer. Most romantic words I'd ever heard after that point. Now let me ask you a question. Do you live like a chosen person? I didn't choose you. I mean I would, I guess, if I were God, but God's the one who did it. Do you live like a chosen person? Let me ask you another question. Do you live like a chosen person in the context of your marriage? Because it takes away, I mean, I'm a therapist. I deal with all sorts of family of origin issues and I understand difficult backgrounds and the scars and, and, and the wounding that that leaves. But Paul trumps all this by saying, look, we've got a new family going here. It doesn't matter if you're slave or free. Jew, Gentile. man woman you got a new family you're chosen what do you rely on for your self-image men tend to rely on their work women on relationships but i talk to married couples all the time who are having difficulty and I'm telling you, if, if you're relying on something other than the fact that you've been chosen by God, you're not going to be able to follow through on what he's asked you to do in the context of your marriage. Second word he uses is holy. Hagioi, set apart. Not only are we chosen, it means we're special. We're exceptional. Holy isn't some negative term. It's used negatively a lot of times in our in our culture you know who do you think you are holier than thou some kind of holy person paul paul says you're a royal priesthood a holy nation there's not a person here that doesn't want to be special and exceptional and i'm telling you in christ that's who we are and the call is then is to live it out in our lives you're special nancy lee de who's an author and and uh She's uh, written some really excellent books and, and has some excellent thoughts on life. She uh, tells the story her dad, Artemas, was a very wealthy man. He uh, founded an insurance company, and tragically, in his mid 50s, uh, he died uh, one day playing tennis with some friends. Heart attack was sudden, it was jarring to the family. She had two brothers. Uh, Wonderful philanthropist, wonderful believer in Christ, led a lot of men and women to Christ, was very influential for the, for the kingdom. So they went through this memorial service, and then afterwards she and her brothers were together, this family get together afterwards. And finally she blurted out, she's talking to her brother, she blurted out, she said, I'm sorry I've got to tell you this, I'm really sorry to have to tell you this, but Dad, I feel so guilty, he said, Dad said that he always liked me best and that I was his favorite. I'm sorry to have to tell you that. I miss him so much. And and one brother looked at her and said, wait a second, that's what dad told me. And the other brother said, "Uh uh-uh, that's what dad told me. Can you imagine this, this dear man going to each other and saying, you're my favorite. You're my favorite. You're my favorite. You know what God does to each of us? Each of us. He says, you're my favorite. You're my favorite. You're my favorite. We're set apart. Are you living your life as a husband and as a wife? As a set apart person? If you're just looking at him and he didn't pick up his underwear or he left the door open again, or he left the dirty dishes there, or you're looking at her and thinking, man, if only she would be a better housekeeper, or if she'd do this or that. No. Mm-mm. Missed it. We're not dependent on others to make us feel that we are set apart for something exceptional. And then, I love the way he, he says this. Paul, Paul is so great. He goes, Chosen, holy, dearly loved. It just doesn't say loved. He says dearly loved. The tense here in the Greek is that we're being loved continually. It's a perfect passive voice, it's, a, it's just, it's ongoing. We're continually being loved by the Lord. And here's the key. Talk about your marriage. Loved people love back. You're experiencing God's love in a rich and meaningful way. If you're embracing that love, then you can love your spouse in return. Now, my understanding of love begins with the understanding of how much God loves me. John says it beautifully. Most well-known verse in the Bible. God loved the world so much that he gave us his son. Uh, William P. Young wrote a book called The Shack. It's, it's a work of fiction, but it's a man's experience spiritually with, with uh, uh, dealing with tragedy in his life. And, and uh, he wrote this book, and, and uh, it's got some good parts... Maybe not so good parts in it, but I love the book for one thing. And, and as this man encounters the triune God, and, and he is trying to figure out, how do I, you know, how do you feel about me? There's this wonderful phrase in there that, that finally, when, when God speaks to him, and he uses this sentence I am especially fond of you. I really like that. Especially fond of you. Do you realize God's especially fond of you? So God made us for relationships. He made us for marriage. But the foundational relationship isn't human. It's divine. Our source of understanding of how we need to be in relationship with others needs to come from our growing and abiding walk with a loving Savior. Um, I've worn this ring for over 37 years. And uh, inside this ring, my wife told me when she gave it to me, she said, I've got something uh, inscribed in it. I said, oh, that's really nice. I thought it would be some nice, like, you're the best, or, you know, some nice compliment to me. Uh, it's a scripture verse that she did, which I was vaguely disappointed at first when I read it. And then I, then I looked it up. It's 1 John 4.19. That's what I'm looking at now. The letters are still there. You know what 1 John 4.19 says? We love because he first loved us. And oh well, that's a good verse. You know, here it's a good verse. That's nice, right? And I think over the years we love because he first loved us. I love because I'm dearly loved. All the women are saying that is so sweet and all the men are th- saying. I wonder how they get those little letters in there anyway. <laughs> <laughs> wonder where you could charge per letter for that. You can make a little business out of that problem. I know. So listen, my first encouragement to you for this first session is stop, let's stop fussing with each other a little bit or being concerned with, with getting this thing going in the right direction. Let's do that after we remember why we're in this relationship anyway. Are you a Christian? Then your marriage matters. It doesn't just matter to you or even your spouse or even your kids. It matters to the world because you, in your marriage, mirror God's image. You mutually complete one another. You're multiplying a godly legacy. Rick and I were talking. Rick says, "I really invited you here." Well, I won't say that. No, I'm not going to say. I shouldn't say that, really, should I? He says, "Some problem cases. I need you to handle." No, he he didn't say that. Um, But we were were talking through. You know what? How how do you work with with, uh, people that just seem to get stuck? And the older I get, the less clever I am. I really. I just am a little bit more blunt. And um, I had a couple in my office. They came about three months ago. I I worked with this couple years ago, and uh, he had a severe drinking problem, and God gave him the direction and the strength and ability to to, uh, say no to alcohol, which I just admire the guy for, and really solidified uh, his life and turned his marriage around. He started walking with God and the uh, wife was great too she was very supportive they're in my office again what are you doing back here and you know they're just in a tough time and they're just going back i really they just went back and forth with each other about 35 minutes burp, 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 burp. you know you're doing this and you're doing this and you know you're doing this and i can't believe this and this is coming back and burp, 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 and i just i did this really i just went okay you got to stop now I love these people. You've got to understand, I love these people. Gosh. So what are you doing? I said, are, did you, are you still believers in Jesus? And They looked at me like I just slapped them. Well, oh, yeah. I said, what are you doing? What are you, you've got to look at him first. You've got to treat each other in a different way. You, you've got to take what you know, and start living it out. And start stop focusing on each other and focus on what God wants you to do in the context of your marriage. If you do that, you'll turn your marriage around. They both nodded and left. Didn't come back. I think they're afraid to come back. They don't want another lecture. But I've just, ah oh, stop it. I come to you, uh, having gone through some, some upheaval in uh, my church life. My uh, church back in Orlando uh, was pastored by a brilliant young pastor, 30 in his mid-30s. Um, I have never heard anyone teach the word like this man and do it so winsomely. Just a brilliant communicator. Got to know him, loved him. Uh, A little over a year ago, found out that he had an affair uh, with the church secretary, which is so cliche, it just makes me mad. But uh, had to leave, and it was, I mean, I'm telling you, it hit me like a punch in the stomach. I had no idea. And about six weeks ago, word came out that he took his life. This is a man. And if you heard him preach, you'd go, wow. I'm a, I'm a sermon snob. I don't like most sermons. Sorry, Rick. I, I just, I'm just always trying to, you know, that's a, not a good illustration. Or You shouldn't have done that there. This guy was almost perfect. You know what he didn't have? Two things. He didn't realize that his marriage, which was falling apart and no one realized it, was more important than his ministry. And he didn't get the help that he needed. And once he did what he did, he could never come to a point of repentance. And to this day, it's devastating to me and to thousands of people in our church. It's a sobering last example. I'm sorry to lay that on you, but I want to tell you, Your marriage is more important than you think. It doesn't just affect you. It affects not just your spouse, not just your family, not even just your extended family. It it affects a lot of people. Two weeks ago, I was in the hospital. I'll I'll explain why later. I'm really glad to be here and be alive. Um, (laughs) But I had I had to have a procedure done with my heart. I had an aortic valve replacement done a year and a half ago, and I had some problems. So they did a procedure, and it was Monday morning, a couple week and a half ago. And my, Renee wasn't there. My wife wasn't there yet. And she barely made it before they put me under. You know, I was already on the table, and they already had me prepped and ready to go. And she came in, and she prayed for me real quick, and tears in her eyes, and, you know, I'll be fine. It, it wasn't, you know, it was not a terrible procedure, but it was serious. And when I came out, you know, it's one of those things where they put you under and then you come back out. When I came out, you know, you feel really good. I don't know what they use, but I'd like to find out. That was, that's really great stuff because I'm just all <laughs> happy and, you know, this, this is, that was great. And so there was a male nurse in there. He's a Filipino background. Big guy, good looking guy. And, he's, and he came and... Uh, I was in there alone. They're they uh, waiting for the doc to come back and, and uh, after they talked to me. And he said, you have a good marriage, don't you? I said, well, I'd like to think so, thanks. He, How can you tell? He says, I saw your wife come in. He said, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm about ready to get engaged. What's, what's the secret? I said, well, it's my faith. We began to talk to him about the Lord. I was still doped up. I don't know what I said exactly. <laughs> I'm sure it was wonderful. <laughs> A guy I never saw before, might not ever see again, although I invited him to our church. I, affected by our marriage. People watch. Let me pray for us. Lord, as we go through the rest of today, I pray that you would uh, meet us with your spirit. Uh, I thank, thank you that you care about us and about our relationships. Thank you that you care about our marriage. And I would pray that you would, um, in my heart, remind me, God, please, that it's not just about me. Remind us all that there are things that you are working on in our lives, through our marriages. And help us to view this relationship with the importance and the attention that it deserves. Give us that grace, Lord. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, break time, right?